welcome back. It's time for Customers Who Click. I've got another CRO episode lined up for you today as I welcome Sandeep Shah to the podcast. Sandeep's the Director of Product at Web Trends Optimize, a testing and personalization platform. We're going to be talking about how brands should go about choosing a testing platform, what technical considerations they need to think about beforehand, and some of the first things a brand should do when getting into A-B testing. Let's get Sandeep on now. Hi, Sandeep. Thanks for joining me today. Would you mind just give us a bit of an introduction to yourself, a bit of your background and uh, how you've got to where you are today? Yeah, sure. I'm Sandeep. I run the product team here at Web Trends Optimize. We're an experimentation vendor. So my job is to look at what we build and why what everyone else is up to. I get involved a lot with conversations with new businesses, new agencies who are reviewing the market as well. So yeah, on the cold face of things quite often. I've been doing this for 11-ish years now. I've seen most things in that time. Had a lot of these kind of conversations. And yeah, most things tech basically flow through me. That's a brief summary. Awesome. Cool. How do you get customers clicking? What's the key? Yeah, it's a good question, isn't it? I think research is the first thing. You know, a lot of things from our side, at least, is very research-led, very fixing problems. That's the kind of approach that we take. And the first step to fixing problems is being able to identify them. So whether it's through data, whether it's through research or interviews, usability testing, any of these kind of things that you can do, the first step should always be understand and gauge what the problem is, where the problem is before running at us. A lot of people do it, are very design focused. So it's very, our homepage isn't converting. No worries, I'll re, you know, redesign it and build a brand new one. But no, it's always, yeah, find the actual problem before you run a solution. Yeah, it's always, I think my post yesterday on LinkedIn was about this. You've got to find out what the customer wants, right? If you don't do that research, then you're always just thinking what you think the customer wants to hear based off normally what you want to happen and how you talk about things internally. So it's always key to, to actually speak to customers, find out how they describe the problems. Yeah, I'd uh... then really work out what. I had a conversation recently with them said, if I were to build a recommendations engine for someone who sells dresses, the likelihood of me doing a very good job of it is awful. It's not in my wheelhouse, shall we say, to understand what the customer need is and what they're thinking about and the decisions they're making as part of that process. So you've really got to embed yourself in their mentality and, you know, their needs. And that's where it should always start. Yeah. I think it's, it's important to do this at any business you get involved with, right? So even if you are you only work in the clothing industry, if you're going to try and optimize a website, you've still got to go and do that research and speak to customers because you've got a different audience, a different, it's a different brand, different positioning. So there's always going to be new insights that you're going to get. Yeah, different, definitely. And whether it's other companies doing similar things to you, whether it's talking to people in finance, even if you are selling shoes or trainers, there, there are things they do, research techniques, ways of getting to the answer, which are very valuable to you. And if your focus and your experience has only been on your company, your brand, your product, yeah, that, that kind of second layer of information is hugely valuable. Absolutely. So I want to talk a bit about our platforms. Right? And how do you how, basically how do you identify the right platform for your business? I think that question in itself is like the best first that's not saying what's the best platform out there. I want to pick the top one in a magic quadrant and just assume this is the best thing 
you know, is saying what's the best thing for you. And that process begins with actually being very honest about what you need. Quite often I have people, discussions with people around things like integrations, and they'll say, do you integrate with this analytics tool or CDP or session recording tool or whatever it may be? And they don't really think about what their actual need is. They're just saying, tick a box, do you integrate, yes or no? And if the actual need is just to view experimentation data in the other platform, every single platform under the sun can do that. There is no special requirement from anyone to unlock that for a customer. So being very clear and precise about exactly what someone needs. If they need full stack and they're sure they actually do, great, go look for a platform that does that really well for you, but be certain of it. You know, quite often people are fed things like, you need full stack because of content flicker, and it's just not true. Being very yeah clear on what you need is always that first step. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point you made. Obviously, it's, it's what I was kind of was I think uh, the answer I was expecting you from you was actually going to be on the lines of things like how much traffic have you got, how many tests are you going to run, I guess what sort of resource have you got for running tests. But actually, yeah, those integrations things are really important. But it's important you know why you're integrating each tool. And also, if you're going to use, I've been in house some big companies where we have been looking at we, we need to bring in this tool to do this job. But you get all those questions like, does it integrate with the tools we've got? Is there crossover with the tools we've got? And also, what features does it have that we aren't going to use, but we're, but maybe we're pretty confident we will use in six to twelve months' time? Yeah. And does it make sense to integrate with a tool like that if we're not going to use some of the functionality for that long? Absolutely. And your points are perfectly valid as well. Understanding your usage of a platform means you can then go and study how well it does those specific things. If you have developer support, do you care how the WYSIWYG works? Probably not. Developers need boxes to paste code into Largely, that's that's all we need. But if you have trading teams who are trying to get campaigns off the ground, and that's an important part of how you use a platform, then no-code experiences are very valuable to you. And again, it's trying to understand yourself as a company before trying to understand the platforms, which is that first step, being very clear on we're running testing at scale and have no project management and that's very important to us or good integrations with Jira so you're not going back and forth and hopping between tools or tying into Slack and a bit of alerting or something like that because that's finding issues or t saving time maybe those things are very important but it definitely does start with who are we before who are they when you're looking at tools yeah okay interesting so when it does come to who are they and the actual tool itself, what do people need to consider? What are the questions you would ask a brand? Yeah, definitely. I start with trying to understand the team and the skills that are available to them. If they have developers, then understanding what developer-focused features and how, how fast code updates and we can spot errors in their code and alert them to it. Those sorts of things matter. If they have strong analysts, then the reporting side of things is very valuable to them. So I think understanding who's in the team is the first thing. And then what they're trying to do, if all you're doing is copy testing, 
which there is good value in, not to knock it, but if that's all you're doing, your needs are probably a lot more straightforward than yeah, someone who's doing large redesigns. I think between that and the technology, which is always a question for us, what's the site built on? And making sure they have realistic expectations of what a, a tech vendor can do for them based on the site. A lot of modern single-page apps are terrible to build front-end experiences on. So if they're expecting to do large redesigns on a highly dynamic website, you've almost got to rein them in early and explain what they should be looking at and how they should be thinking about things and maybe the need to hire devs or look in that direction alongside features which would help them get by like feature flagging or server-side testing in that example or, or something like that. Yeah, and I suppose it, it, it benefits you to make sure that they are, they're ready to take advantage of the platform because right? otherwise they're going to sign up and a few months later say it's not working for us. Absolutely. And we can't have that on our side for sure, not to speak for others, but so someone you're using your platform or trying to and failing is awful. It'd almost be better if they'd never taken it out in the first place. It's bad for vendors when the support need becomes super high. It's bad for the customer when they don't manage to achieve the things that they're after. So you definitely want to get it right before you sign up. And we actually invest heaps of time on our side before someone signs up saying, Fire every difficult, awkward question you can at us. Really test us, challenge us, but make sure things are right before you sign up because being locked in for, often I've seen three, four, five years sometimes, you know, that you don't want that if you're not sure at all is the right thing for you. Yeah. When it comes to working with brands directly as opposed to agency partnerships, do you find there needs to be a particular person with a particular set of experience and skills? And if you're having that conversation, you feel confident that, you know, this brand knows what they're doing and it is likely to seek success or as opposed to just dropping a call with a, a CMO who, you know, or a founder, for example. Does that make sense? It does. I'm not, I'm trying not to specifically ask, does it help if they have a CRO person? But does it help if they have a CRO person? Yeah, it, it, it does. I've, we've, we've found success with people when talking to a board of directors and convincing them you should be doing testing it's very important for you it's crazy that you're not and here's what you would see and protect yourself from if you did it so that side of things can work but it's very difficult to drag a team along on that journey if it's coming from top down saying you should be doing this it's not easy for a team to change their day-to-day because someone's dictated you've got to do it differently so i find it a lot more helpful to have, yeah, boots on the ground, those kind of people on the side. The best success I've seen is from people who have strong devs around them, whether it's internally, whether it's hired through an agency or something like that. But people who have devs focused on experimentation, so not just general purpose part of the product, doing regular stuff for the company, but focused on testing making sure those metrics are tracking as they should do, making sure tests are built properly and not just thrown together by someone where it's 5% of their job. Yeah, that, that kind of success I've seen work really well. And then needs a real CRO expert. You're absolutely right to ask. And I've seen the best success we've seen is from people internally who say, I understand what we've run, why we've run it, I can go and sell it to other people as opposed to someone from a marketing department or something will say, I understand the test we've run, but 
not the limitations of it, not the real success and the meaning and the value. You need someone who really gets testing to to promote, and we we still need a lot of that in our depo- in our industry. That's self promotion. Yeah, because it's the same as like actual marketing channels, right? If you want to be running PPC or meta ads or whatever, a business is going to have a lot more success if they've got an actual expert running that and if they're running the campaigns themselves or engaging with an agency same thing goes for CRO really it's not something you can just add on to someone's job responsibilities and say oh can you manage AB testing on the website as well no definitely not when you do I think you end up seeing the problem that causes we have seen a fair amount of that as well and the things that you chase are often just the easiest way to squeeze cash out of a website and you're not really focused on solving problems. Whereas if it's someone's job to say, I am the CRO person, then the quality of the research goes up because that's what they're spending their time doing normally. The quality of analysis on the other side is way, way better. The actual quality of the program is higher than yeah, if someone's saying, I'm responsible for testing, but it's 5% of my time, there's only so much. I can learn, let alone do definitely with you on that, yeah. Yeah, it's a big role, right? It's arguably a lot bigger role than any marketing channel, really, because there's it's constant, like a non-stop. You're either researching, building tests, doing post-test analysis. I've not seen many other industries or roles where you need someone who is as skilled as CRO, and that's one of the reasons I love it personally. But if you imagine saying... You need someone who is part UX expert, part data scientist, part developer to build these front-end things. There's probably a handful of other really important roles in there, strategist or business consultancy even. You need to be good at all of these things to make a real good go of CRO. Yeah, it's not tricky. And yeah, I guess it's the reason, at least in our circles, people are very well regarded when they do it well. You appreciate the skill involved, I think. Yeah, absolutely. So when a brand, let's say a brand's found a platform, decided to move ahead, where do you start with the actual program itself? What do you think is key? I know you touched on research at the, right at the start, so it can touch on that a bit more as well. Yeah, there, there are two two schools of thought I've found, and I'm happy with both of them. One is a velocity-driven approach. So you just say, day one, think speed. And what's the fastest way I can get 20, 30 tests out the door? And in that time, people will get to speed with processes, which is very important for us, making sure we record what we're doing, making sure we test it properly, because it's very easy just to throw code out there and pray for the best, making sure we analyze and critique and log and record and look back and do all those things. So velocity is one. And just if you kick the door hard enough, it will open that sort of way of thinking. The other is research and data, starting with which which journeys or pages hold the most value is usually where I start. So not which ones cause the most pain, but which ones hold the most value. So if most people are flowing through your checkout, for example, those pages hold incredible value and an extra 1% at the checkout is probably a lot more valuable than 1% of people who reach the help or FAQs or a set of PLPs or something like that. So yeah, identifying where 
to begin with, and then the what. And the what is the most tricky bit. You can say what people are seeing versus what you hope they are. I've seen some really good thought processes just in terms of, again, putting yourself in the user's shoes. Why are they here? What they're hoping to see, what they're hoping to learn, what their frustrations, what stage of the buying cycle are they even in? And doing that kind of self-critique where you plonk yourself in, in the shoes of someone. I've seen that work very well. If not, usability studies or even just crashing through the site by yourself and saying, why are things not where they should be? I tried to click this thing and it's not there or it's broken. And those kind of things, you'll come up with ideas very quickly if someone's fresh to what we're doing. Yeah. So I'm, I am more of a fan of the research heavy approach. What I find is that the success rate on tests is, and the impact from tests is better, is bigger and better when that research has been done before starting the testing process. Otherwise, it becomes a little bit just based on my experience. I think we should test this. Absolutely. And without the research, without the why, the customer, the actual customer insights, you're, you're guessing what that solution is going to be. Yeah. And you definitely don't want that. Yeah. So I've had, I've spoken to brands where we've done the analysis and we've identified, for example, that loads of people add to cart and then people are not buying. So it's, why aren't they buying? Um, for some brands, it's people don't really appreciate the value of the products. They're not convinced that certain questions have not been answered, but for some reason they added to cart and then they've dropped. For this other brand I was looking at the other day, this brand has two products. I think both are about the same price, kind of $80, $85, $90. But if you added one of them to cart, you were still about five dollars. I think eleven dollars off the free shipping threshold. Damn. So your only option there is to buy an entire second product. Now, so my hypothesis there is that the reason people are dropping off at Descartes is because there's a shipping. Yeah, and they won't realise that. Not really an option around. Yeah, they won't realise that until they've added to cart. Yes. So sometimes it is obvious, you know, you can very quickly say, I think we need to test this. Let's, uh, let's make a change. But that's, that is something that jumps out of you and you go, yeah, we've got two options here. Either we need to lower the threshold to a single product, or we need to find some sort of add-on that can go in the cart and they can just pay 11, $12 or whatever's needed to bomb them over the line. But with the majority of businesses, you don't have that issue. Right, where that threshold is so far off and they're a, a single product business. So in those cases, it is you have to go and do the research. You have to find out why people are dropping off and what it is that's going to make them convert. Yeah, nothing comes easily to what we do. If it were that obvious, every website would have 100% conversion. Every user would always buy. You really do have to study people and understand what's going on. It's not always obvious. Yeah. And there are other things. Like I've done tests around on the product listing page. What is the call to action that should be on that page? And for some brands, I've found that having no call to action is better than trying to put call to actions on there, which doesn't really make sense. I think there should be some sort of call to action on. And for other brands, having add to car is very much the wrong call to action because people want to learn more about the products. And if Add to Cart's the only call to action on that page, then they get stuck. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I remember watching session recordings for one brand where people were adding multiple products to cart from that page. And from the cart, they were then going to explore each product individually. That's a new one. Really weird. <laughs> and they were removing the ones they didn't, they didn't like. Really strange behavior that I'd never seen before. 
but for some reason people didn't think they could click through on the products so actually view the details so we just switched into view details which opened the pdp and conversion rate went up excellent yeah and also ends up with less baskets being made and there, there is definitely value in having analytics that makes sense a bunch of people reaching your basket and dropping off just because the user journey is awful is not good for anyone really yeah makes sense Speaking of awful user experiences, the other one that is obvious to deal with is not having a guest checkout. Unless there is a real valid reason for needing people to create it. Yeah. For most e-commerce stores, that, that there is no reason. No, there is absolutely not. No, no excuses in my book either. People shouldn't need to sign up and create accounts to buy stuff. If you do, it's almost like saying someone walks into a store and we won't let you buy it unless you sign up for our loyalty card. And you say, no, I just want to buy the thing. And you just say, no. You know, what? you, you would never do that talking to a real person. And yet websites, yeah, we see them yeah. built that way. Yeah. I just to add, even subscriptions, right? These days, the, the tech is there. So you do not have to create an account to, to set up a subscription. You have to create an account to manage your subscription, which you can then do later but it doesn't have to be part of that buying experience. No, definitely not. I do wonder sometimes, I want to buy these jeans. Do you really need anything other than my credit card number? Like, pro probably not. And where to ship it? That's about it. Shipping, yeah. There's no good reason to be asking date of birth and all these things that I've seen. It's just irrelevant information that someone in marketing probably has asked for. Yeah, absolutely. But just on, on that note, fewer fields does... In other cases, fewer fields does not necessarily improve conversion and improve quality. Now, I've done lead generation. I've done, I have done sign up forms for businesses where accounts have been required and adding relevant questions that people understand they have to answer this does improve conversion rate and does improve the quality of those conversions as well. But yeah, when it comes to a checkout, if you make, if you make date of birth compulsory, you're going to get drop off. So if you make phone number compulsory and don't explain why you want the phone number. Yeah. Date of birth is an interesting one. If you can imagine being in the shoes of a customer and saying, you're about to go buy some trendy sneakers or something. And they're like, how old are you? That's almost a voice I hear in my head when you're looking at this. They've got 45. You shouldn't be wearing those, mate. That's almost there. <laughs> yeah. I'm with you on the lead gen side as well. But there was something we saw for the insurance aggregators where when you're taking out a loan if you actually ask them early on why are you taking it out it's not that the information is inherently valuable to the company but you're reminding people oh this is for a wedding and you go okay cool let me put the effort in because it's for a wedding and I, I want to be doing this so sometimes there's good value just in asking questions yeah definitely with you on taking stuff out not always being inherent to better conversion Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, that insurance comes up a lot. So the example is, if you were going to take out an insurance policy, and in order to get a quote, you had to put your name and email address in, you're not going to be pretty confident. You're not going to be very confident in that quote, are you? You're going to be thinking, what's that based on? Data collection exercise. Yeah. That's why these companies could get away with asking 50 questions across multiple pages, because each question... You may not know how relevant it is. If you take out home insurance, for example, if they're asking about what your walls are made of, what your roof is made of, you don't know why exactly they need that, but it's relevant to the, to the quote. And also, you, you trust 
that the more detail that goes into it, the more accurate that quote's going to be. Yeah, you would hope it would help. I've yet to do a study. I do want to do one for car insurance. Where you just say, if, yeah, if answer was A instead of B, does it actually make a difference or are they just curious? Yeah, it'd be good to know, just as public knowledge. I think a lot of them are. I think a lot of the questions are relevant. I do get... I know I've gone back and forth a little bit when I had to insure my car because I... No, no claims bonus, for example. I think I technically did have a no claims bonus because I'd never been the named... Like, I, I'd never had my own policy. Yep. Which means that... I guess it means I, I can't actually prove that I've never had an accident, even if there's no accidents on previous policies. But so answer, I know that I knew that answering that as a 15 year no no claims or whatever versus no years no claims that had an impact. But then what was interesting and it's the first time I'd seen this actually when I answered no years no claims that then had a an additional question which just was just like how many years driving have you had accident free, which is very good yeah. It's an interesting one because it made, I guess it made me feel that I'm probably going to get a discount if I say, even though I've got no, no claims, I've still got 15 years driving with no, with no accidents, but how do they know that I'm telling the truth on that? Yeah. You would expect if there was an accident, your name will be in the database somewhere against an incident record. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely interesting. Those fields I, I always assume have value to them, but things like how many miles do you travel? I do wonder if there's like a sweet spot where, oh, actually, if you commit to driving an extra thousand miles, then, you know, it will go down. It's these kind of things. Yeah, sometimes people ask, and as a user, you just don't understand really what the difference is and what it means and why people ask. The same with jobs. You could, I could call myself probably a dozen things on a job list or something or working in marketing or I'm a developer or any of these kind of things. They're all true. But yeah, again, you wonder what the actual impact is. Yeah, like if you, just putting a job title in, how does that affect your insurance? Because what does that actually mean? To them, oh, what was I? Oh, I was talking about, yeah, I was talking to my client earlier about ingredient and allergen information on product pages and a lot of their product pages will say no major allergens and so I, the question that came up on that call was what is a major allergen who decides what that is if you ask someone who does have an allergy if it's a major allergy are you going to read yeah. that and go, cool okay i have i should be fine or do you want to specifically see your the allergy that you have named as a no you don't have to worry that there's no nuts in this product. You don't have to worry about that. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, I'm sure you could say nut allergies are right up there as a major allergy, probably shellfish or something. But as a user of a product, it's not enough to go, ah, we cover people with allergies. Don't worry. <laughs> no, what about me as a person and my needs? It doesn't take much to, to be very clear on things. And whatever experience people are building, clarity is right up there as a problem to solve and, yeah, a thing to get. Yeah, um, there's, you've got to look at as opportunity, right? You can say, no nuts, no, what other allergens are there? There's gluten and shellfish and dairy and, yeah. Dairy, right. Let's say, no nuts, no dairy. And then you could add something like, please see full list of ingredients to cover yourself with that. And then say, if in doubt, please contact us and ask and put a contact thing on there, live chat. 
And because the thing I always talk about is if someone in these sort of situations where it could be life and death, if they are not 100% sure they're going to be okay with it, they won't buy it. Absolutely. Even if you're 100% sure it's fine as the product owner, if that customer is not 100% sure, then they're going to, they're not going to buy it. So in these earlier stages, when we're, when we're trying to do this research to find out, are we, have we answered these questions? Are we covered? Put a contact form on there or a, or a live chat pop up, get people to, to make that request. And then say so we've had X number of people ask this question in the last month. We need to have that information on the product page. Yeah, exactly. Listening to people, however that information comes, live chats, I think, can't remember who it was I was talking to, but they were saying the best information they get is from the call centers. All of those questions that come back from people are things that a website's failing to address. And so being forced to pick up a phone just to find things out. And so going to talk to people in contact centers yeah. is huge. Yeah. But it's an incredible source of, source of insight, but also... What I found happens a lot is that information is on the website. It could be on the product page, whatever, but it's just not visible, right? It's hidden normally behind a tab or behind an, like an accordion, which are a nightmare, or it's just stuck in the footer. And so when you actually go back to these brands and say, you get loads of questions about what's your returns policy, and they go, returns policy stated on the website. Not clearly enough, apparently. Then clicks away from the product page. Yeah. It just means let's, that's what's causing the problem. And I think, yeah, the start to remember from, there's a, a customer service tool called Groove. They did a blog and they said for every one person who contacts you with a question or a complaint, there's about 23 other people who stay silent and don't contact you. So if you apply that to how many people are asking you questions about your products, you've got to think, well, how many people are not asking these questions? They're just bouncing. Oh, I'm sure nowadays it's, yeah, I'm surprised it's one in 25 and not, yeah, hundreds of people will never bother picking up a phone, especially nowadays. They'll go, oh, I'll just keep Googling and I'll find something that I'm sure about. It's almost faster to do that than it is I mean, to, yeah, pick up a phone. This could, I think they're a quite SaaS-focused customer service tool as well. So that stat might have been related to SaaS businesses. So yeah, you're right. For consumers who, if it's their first time exploring a brand, they're on a desktop. They might have ten tabs open with different brands exploring the same product. Yeah, and a lot of people are not going to bother contacting you because they'll just go buy it from the person who does answer their question. Yeah, exactly. We have thousands of people hit the website. Comparatively, definitely not thousands of people who get in touch. Very few by comparison. So yeah, there's a lot of people who get there don't see what they need or don't like what they see, one of the two, but yeah, definitely don't get in touch. And yeah, there's, it's a failing on the pilot. Yeah. Cool. So yeah, just before we finish up, is there anyone in the e-commerce world that you'd want to go for lunch with? I don't really fo follow people very much, actually. I would love to <laughs> to find certain people who run brands. There, there are a few brands I absolutely love. The way Huel, for example... You know, the, they do food replacements and they did the drinks. The way the, those guys shot up was, yeah, something I've not seen much of. And they, I think they'd be excellent just to sit down and talk to and say, did you end up where you have? I, th I think people like that would be awesome. But not people I know by name. I, yeah, unfortunately don't know the, the guy that runs Huel, but yeah. 
Yeah, they've done really well. I'm guessing they're one of those brands that just exploded in COVID. Oh, they must have, yeah. I've known them for a while, but yeah, they. I've noticed them a lot more the last few years, a lot more products. But also, they are really good with their social media presence, particularly on their advertising. They are a perfect example of a brand who knows how to take advantage of people who troll. So they do loads of vegan products yep. and you get, you, they get so many comments, people saying, how can you call it this if it's vegan or why would you, who wants a vegan product? And they, whoever's dealing with that is, it does a fantastic job of it. And that's, don't need to go into this too much, but that, that creates engagement. It creates comments on those posts. And so when you see that as a new person, you go, oh, they've got a thousand comments on their post. It must be good. Yeah, exactly. And just as a brand to have that kind of slightly younger vibe about you, how you deal with people, how you deal with your product and your marketing. And they managed to catch a wave of people who are very gym and health focused nowadays as well. Right product for the right time almost. But it, would, it I'm sure they've got some great stories of crazy things they've been through or had to deal with. Yeah, would definitely make for a good conversation, I reckon. Yeah. Cool. And just finally, have you got one final piece of advice you'd offer? I think for me, the biggest thing for me has always just been to be curious and to ask good questions. Quite often, people are very hesitant, either in their own skills, their own knowledge, or just to ask questions and to really poke people. Whether you're looking for a tool, go ask questions you know, of yourselves and of them and really make sure you understand things. If it's of a website, Go ask questions. Ask the difficult questions. Why are people here? What are they doing? What do they want? Why don't we give it to them? What are we doing wrong? But that kind of asking questions often um, is something I just don't see much of. So that would be the best advice I could give anyone, whatever you're looking at, really. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Thank you so much, Sandy. If anyone wants to reach out, what's the best way to do that? I live on LinkedIn at the minute, so that's probably an easy way to find me, I think. Other than that, reach out to our website, webtrends-optimized.com and yeah, me or someone like me who will be able to point you to me should be able to track me down easily. Never that difficult to get hold of. Awesome. All right. Cheers. One of the most important things to do is make sure you really understand your position, your current setup and tech stack before you choose a testing platform and make sure you know what the point of your program is. You can easily spend thousands of dollars a month on a platform if you're the right size of business but if you haven't got a strategy ready or you don't have the resource necessary to dedicate to it, you're just going to be wasting money. Finally, research is key. You need to really understand your customers, understand how they behave in your website, what they want to achieve, and that's going to really help drive a successful CRO program. If you'd like to hear more from Sandeep, you can find him on LinkedIn. Any other podcast questions, feedback, or guest requests, please send them over to will at customersuclick.com or DM me on LinkedIn. Next up, I've got Christopher Flemstrom joining me. We're going to be talking about how brands can benefit from agile video content creation. But until then, keep those customers clicking.